Good evening and welcome. Thank you for being here tonight. Again, we wish our fathers a very happy day. Hope you've had a happy Father's Day and we're grateful for the opportunity to honor you today for your patience and kindness and love and instruction, all the things that go into being a father. We are so grateful for those that have been influential in our lives, and we hope and pray that God has blessed you and that you've had a great, great day. Thank you for the reading of the scripture tonight, Jordan, and also thank you, Danton, for leading our singing tonight, the prayer that was offered. And we're going to be looking tonight at 1 Samuel chapter 15. In our study tonight, we're going to be talking about King Saul. And what I want to do this evening is really focus our attention on this one chapter. At least from my perspective, 1 Samuel chapter 15 is what I would call a microcosm of the life of King Saul. And so if you look at this chapter, you get a good idea of King Saul, his character, and how he operated. And so we're going to be looking at this chapter tonight in our study. So we begin tonight, let me ask this question. Do you know anyone that, based upon what you have seen and heard in their life, you would conclude that he or she has been a major disappointment? Ever known anybody like that? I have seen, as well, I suspect, as many of you, I've seen people that have been blessed immeasurably. Tremendous talent, ability, intellect. They have all kinds of blessings, many privileges in life. And yet, sadly, sometimes those blessings, privileges, abilities go untapped. You know, it's one thing to have talent or ability. It's one thing to have privileges and opportunities in this life. It's altogether different to seize those opportunities and to use those abilities or talents that God has blessed us with. When you look at 1 Samuel chapter 15, we read about somewhat of a microcosm, as I said a minute ago, of the life of King Saul. As I have pondered this lesson, the thought has continued to come back to me, Saul, by all accounts, was a major disappointment. His life was a disappointment, no doubt to Samuel, but more importantly to God. You know, you can go back and look at people in Scripture, individuals that at one time or another made great contributions to the cause of Christ, but for whatever reason, they faltered in life. A good example of that would be a fellow by the name of Demas. You remember when the Apostle Paul wrote his prison epistles in A.D. 62, he identified a man by the name of Demas as a fellow laborer. Six years later, however, Paul would say of Demas that he has forsaken me having loved this present world. Do you remember when Paul and Barnabas were working together? They were engaged in missionary endeavors. And they got to a point where Barnabas wanted to take 
John Mark with them. John Mark had aborted the work at an earlier period in their ministry. And so Paul resisted that. And the text tells us there was sharp contention between Barnabas and Paul. And so they went their separate ways. And I suspect that the Apostle Paul was disappointed in John Mark for a period of time. But later, again looking at 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul would tell Timothy to bring Mark with him because, he said, he is profitable to me. So when we look at the life of King Saul, here's a man that became a major disappointment. First king over the United Kingdom. And so let's look at chapter 15. I want to begin first and foremost by talking about the command of Samuel. Samuel being the prophet of Almighty God. Now you remember back in 1 Samuel chapter 8, the children of Israel wanted a king, didn't they? And you remember why they wanted a king? The Bible says they wanted a king to be like the nations about them. Ultimately, who was to, be, who was to have been their sovereign king? It was God, wasn't it? You remember the book of Judges closes with these words. In those days, there was no king in Israel. And every man did what was right in his own eyes. And so really I think what the writer is saying in that context, the people had forsaken God as their king. So look at 1 Samuel chapter 15. Let's think first of all about this command. Here's what Samuel said to Saul. The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore heed the, vo heed the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he laid in wait for him on the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have. Do not spare them. But kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. The background to this command takes us all the way back to the book of Deuteronomy. Look, if you would, at Deuteronomy in chapter 25 for a minute. Go back and read with me what Moses records in chapter 25 of the book of Deuteronomy concerning Amalek. And look particularly at verse 17. Here's what God said. Remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you were coming out of Egypt? How he met you on the way and attacked your rear ranks? All the stragglers at your rear, when you were tired and weary, he did not fear God. Therefore it shall be when the Lord your God has given you rest from your enemies all around and the land which the Lord your God has given you to possess as an inheritance, that you will blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. You shall not forget. I think there's a lesson here. And that is, whenever people resist or stand against the people of God, in effect, they're standing against God Himself, aren't they? Remember earlier in our lesson this morning, in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus said that those who receive me receive Him who sent me. And so to reject to reject God's people, in effect, is to reject the Lord. Now look again at verse 3. 
Go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man, woman, infant, and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. That was about as clear and concise as a prophet could have made it. Hard to misunderstand what God through Samuel the prophet had said to King Saul. And so in verse 4 the Bible tells us, that Saul gathered 200,000, rather 210,000 soldiers together to go up and to fight against the Amalekites. Now in verse 6, Saul said to the Kenites, now note, if you would, the positive side of how people treated the children of Israel, and in effect, how they treated the children of Israel was a reflection on Almighty God. Go depart, get down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. All right, let me just pause here and ask this question. Based upon what Samuel said to Saul, should there have been any mis misunderstanding on the part of the king? It was clear succinct or concise, really brooked no argumentation whatsoever. Now, you know, there are some clear-cut commands in Scripture that oftentimes people will quibble, quibble about, and yet they are as plain and forthright as what the prophet said to King Saul. There are a lot of people in the religious world today, they quibble over whether or not they need to be baptized into Christ. And you take Mark 16, 16 and lay it to the side of 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 3. It's just as plain. Same thing's true when it comes to singing. As Paul said in Ephesians 5, 19 or Colossians chapter 3, sing and make melody in your heart to the Lord. Not hard to understand. And yet people, for whatever reason, ignore those passages. All right, now, note if you would, the compromise of Saul. The Bible says down in verse 8 that he took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings of the lambs, and all that was good, and were unwilling to utterly destroy them, but everything despised and worthless, that they utterly destroyed. Did King Saul obey God? No. Partially. But partial obedience is not obedience, is it? So God, again, God had given a very clear command. Here's what I want you to do, King Saul. No misunderstandings. Not hard, not hard to really not hard to deduce. And yet, the text tells us that King Saul did the very opposite. Now note verse 10. The word of the Lord, the word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, this is God now, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. 
Now note if you would verse 11. And it grieved Samuel. And now we're introduced to the cry of Samuel. The Bible says he cried all night to the Lord. Do you think Samuel was disappointed in King Saul? I mean, God had richly blessed him. He had been anointed king. He is a powerful man, a man of influence, a man of substance or means. He had everything in the world going for him, and he chose to disobey Almighty God. And Samuel the prophet was grieved and cried before the Lord. When you look around and see congregations of God's people that are having trouble, whether it be troubles that exist between brethren not getting along, when you see congregations that are being rent asunder because some are ignoring the very Word of God, does that grieve you? Does it bother you? It ought to. And you think about the church. The nation of Israel, they were God's chosen people, weren't they? God had entered into a covenant relationship with them. And we have been blessed immeasurably to be members of the body of Christ. And Jesus is the head of the church. And the body takes control from the head. And Paul makes it abundantly clear in Colossians chapter 1, verse 18, that Jesus is the head of that body. So when the body is out of kilter with the head, problems exist. I can think of a congregation right now that years ago had some problems internally. At one time, they were a fairly large congregation. And yet today, they are struggling, as we would say. In many respects, they have been their own worst enemy. They're congregations that ought to be growing. They ought to be flourishing, but they're not. Some because of internal conflict. Quite frankly, some because members can't get along with one another and they're constantly fighting and warring against one another. And then there are others that they have chosen to dis dishonor God by not obeying His Word. And they are changing the very structure of the body that we call the church. They're changing worship. They're changing the role of women in the church. They're doing things that are out of harmony with the Word of God. When that happens, it ought to grieve us. I think we need to be praying for the church as a whole. The church is the blood-bought body of Christ. We are to be a light in a darkened world. And if the church is not what it ought to be, then the nation that we live in is not going to be what it ought to be. The only force for good in the world are those of us who belong to the body of Christ. Because Paul said we are the pillar and ground of the truth, aren't we? We're to be the voice that echoes truth in this world. All right, look again at what the text says. 
In verse 12, the Bible says, When Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul went to Carmel. Indeed, he has set up a monument for himself. Says something about Saul, doesn't it? You know, setting up a monument for himself by way of honoring himself. You know, here's some great king. He liked the accolades. He liked the attention. And so the text says that Samuel said to Saul, Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Is that true or false? Would you listen to verse 14? Here's what Samuel said. In effect, what Samuel said was, Well, what's all that racket about then? If you have performed the commandment of the Lord, Brother Hardiman, I think many years ago, said, with regard to this text, the sheep and the oxen called King Saul a liar. Here's what Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears, and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And then Saul responded by saying, They have brought them from the Amalekites. For the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. Now wait a minute. Who's in charge of this operation? Who was given the responsibility by God through the prophet Samuel to go and to utterly destroy the Amalekites and to spare nothing? Was Saul to be the leader, or was that responsibility given to the children of Israel, to the people, to the soldiers. That was Saul's responsibility, wasn't it? So what Saul tried to do was shift the responsibility. In other words, the people wanted this. Now note, Samuel said to Saul, Be quiet, and I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he said to him, Speak on. And Samuel said, When you were little in your own eyes, were you not head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Now note the question. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? One day we're going to stand before God in the judgment. And I think about all of the people that have ever lived on planet earth. We'll all be there. You think that there will be some on that great and final day that will stand before God and God not just ask the question, why didn't you do my will? Why didn't you obey my voice? What was it Jesus said, Matthew chapter 7? You remember? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Revelation chapter 22. Matter of fact, I'll tell you what, let's just turn. I want you to see something in Revelation chapter 22 in this context. The very last chapter of Scripture, the very last book in the New Testament, John, of course, is closing the revelation. And he said, Blessed are they that do His commandments. Now note, that they may have the right 
to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. Isn't it interesting that Jesus began His ministry emphasizing the importance of obedience to the will of the Father? And John, the apostle of love and a companion of Jesus, one who enjoyed intimate fellowship with the Lord, he closes his book under the direction of the Holy Spirit by emphasizing what? Obedience to the will of God. Do you think John is trying to make a point here? For laying aside the pen of inspiration. I think so. And so, to simply acknowledge that what God says is what must be obeyed. It's not up to me to quibble about it, to argue about it, but rather to simply obey it. So Samuel said, Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, But I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me and brought back Agag, king of Amalek. I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites, but he didn't. He said one thing, but he did another. You ever seen children do that? You tell your child, you tell your children, okay, I don't want you to, I don't want you to go across the street. And then they go across the street and they come back and you say something about it. I, I didn't do that. Now note, but the people took of the plunder, again shifting the blame. Sheep and oxen, the best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. And then here's what Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Listen, they didn't obey God's Word. Sacrifice was not what God asked for in this context. What God wanted was complete and utter obedience to His will. And so, look at verse 23. Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Now note. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, He also has rejected you from being king. The consequences. The consequences that King Saul had to face. Sometimes we say for every action there is a corresponding reaction. So, if you sow corn seed, what do you expect to reap in July? Beans, tomatoes, corn, right? You can't sow one type of seed and expect to reap something else. By the same token, we can't sow bad seed, spiritually speaking, and expect to reap a bountiful harvest. I want you to listen to what Paul said, Galatians chapter 6. Remember? Paul said, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. He that sows to the flesh shall of the flesh reap what? Corruption. He that sows to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap 
everlasting life. So here's King Saul. He's been anointed by Samuel the prophet. God has blessed him. God has given him tremendous power. He is a man of influence. He's got all these great blessings. And he chooses to ignore the Word of God. And so now note what is said in verse 24. Saul then says to Samuel, I've sinned, for I've transgressed the commandment of the Lord in your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me, that I may worship the Lord. Then Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord. Now two times, Samuel has stressed the idea, you have rejected the word of God. And because of that, he said, the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. Samuel turned around to go away. Saul seized the edge of his robe, and it tore. And Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today, has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And also the strength of Israel will not lie nor relent, for he is not a man that he should relent. Then he said, and this is Saul here, I have sinned. Now, note what he says here. I think this lends insight to some extent into the character of the man we're talking about. Seems to me somewhat disingenuous. He said, I've sinned, yet honor me now. Please, before the elders of my people. Now, you know, when David sinned with Uriah's wife, Bathsheba, when he had Uriah killed on the front line of battle. If you read Psalm 51 and go back and look at 2 Samuel chapter 12, in a very plain and forthright way, David simply said, I have sinned against the Lord. Matter of fact, in Psalm 51, he said, against you and you only have I sinned. But in 1 Samuel chapter 15, Saul says that he sinned against God, and he did. But he's worried about what others are going to think. He's worried about his reputation and his honor. Rather than worrying about how he dishonored God, it's honor me. And then he said, Please, before the elders of my people and before Israel, and return with me that I may worship the Lord your God. So Samuel turned back after Saul, and Saul worshiped the Lord. Then Samuel said, Bring Agag, king of the Amalekites, here to me. Agag came to him cautiously. And Agag said, Surely the bitterness of death is past, but not so. Samuel said, As your sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. And Samuel hacked Agag in pieces before the Lord in Galgal. Then Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went up to his house at Gibeah of Saul. Now look at verse 35. And Samuel went no more to see Saul until the day of his death. And by the way, you turn over to the last chapter of this book, and Saul dies. His head is cut off. His body is welded to the walls of a pagan temple, dishonored. 
King Saul was a major disappointment in the history of the Israelite nation. God wanted a king that would follow his will. The man that succeeded him was said to have been a man after his own heart. And by the way, who was that? Do you remember? It was David, wasn't it? And there's a tremendous difference between the two. Look, David had his faults and frailties. And the Bible doesn't gloss over that. Nor does it gloss over the faults and frailties of King Saul. What was the difference then? I think the difference was the heart. It's all about the heart. That's why Solomon said, Guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it flows the issues of life. Tonight, think a minute or two about your life. Where you are at this point in time in history. Are you where you want to be? Are you where you think you ought to be? More importantly, are you where God wants you to be? I mentioned a moment ago that there have been people in days gone by, there are people today, no doubt, who have been a major disappointment to friends, family members, mentors, etc. It might be the case that maybe as we speak right now, your life has not turned out to be what you thought it would be, what you envisioned. But listen, as long as there's breath, there's hope, isn't there? It's not too late. You have the opportunity to change, to redirect your life so that when it's all said and done, you won't be a disappointment. You won't have squandered your talents and your time and your treasures. Do you remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 4? That that which is required of a steward is that a man be found faithful. King Saul was a steward. He was the king over the nation of Israel. He was to have been a godly leader but he didn't set the right example. Disobeyed God and paid a heavy price for it. So tonight I ask you, have you obeyed what the Bible says you need to do to become a New Testament Christian? There are people in our world today, they think they've obeyed God's Word when it comes to being a quote-unquote Christian. But unless we do exactly what the Lord said to do, we're not one of His children. Now, in this day of political correctness, that's a difficult pill to swallow, isn't it? But again, think about what Jesus said. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father which is in heaven. For many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? In your name cast out demons. In your name done many mighty works. The Lord doesn't deny any of that. But he will say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. So have you put your faith in Jesus as the Son of God? Have you turned from sin through repentance, as Jesus said in Luke 13, 3? 
Have you confessed with your mouth what you believe in your heart, that Jesus is the divine Son of God? And have you been buried in Christ in a watery grave of baptism so that you might appropriate all the blessings and benefits of the shed blood of Jesus Christ, the Son of God? If you've done that, then the exhortation is to be faithful. And if you're faithful till death, what was it John wrote? Revelation chapter 22, blessed are they that do His commandments. If you do the commands of God and you live according to His will, you have the assurance the blood of Jesus is constantly at work in your life. And when you stand before Him on that great and final day, you'll hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. If you're here tonight, maybe you're a member of the body of Christ, your life's not what it ought to be. Our encouragement to you when I come back to the Lord. You know, there have been people that I've known, you've known, that at one time were faithful members of the body of Christ. They've gone back into the world. That's a disappointment, isn't it? Some know better. Many have known what they should have done. You know, there are times in life when we have, we have, we possess knowledge, but we live below the knowledge we possess. So if you're here tonight and you're not faithful to the cause of Christ, would you come home? Could we pray with you and for you? God will abundantly pardon. Won't you come as we stand and sing?